You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit votr.church. Hey, if we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard Church. So excited to worship with you to share God's word with you this morning. And we're in the middle of a series that we started last week called Fireplaces. It's called Fireplaces because this time of year, we're all gathering around fireplaces. Some of you have fire pits in your backyard. This is how you uh, socialize with your friends. You invite your neighbors over. Some of you have the sweet fireplace that you can just turn on and then you can watch a game or you can watch a movie with your loved ones. But people are gathering around fireplaces all over our city this time of year and sharing life. And as you open the word of God and as you engage with the scriptures, what you realize pretty quickly is that God interacted with his people around fireplaces all the time as well. Last week, we talked about the fireplace of healing. We studied the passage in Acts where Paul has a shipwreck and lands on the island of Malta and this fireplace of healing. And this week, we're in the gospels looking at the fireplace of denial, the fireplace of of denial. We're not talking about like denying ourselves for the greater glory of God, although that would be a good topic. We're not talking about denying our feelings for the boy or girl that sits close to us. We kind of like them, but we don't want to go public with it yet. And we're not talking about the longest river in Africa either. This was for my son. I put that right in there for him. I got the exact reference um, from Kingston. No, we're talking about, did not, some of you are going to get that as the service goes on. <laughs> you got, we're talking about the denial of Christ. Specifically, we're talking about Peter's denial of Christ, and we're talking about our temptations to deny Christ in our own lives. You know, personally, I have a very distinct memory of the first time I denied Christ. I was in elementary school, and back in my day, back when I was, I'm probably not old enough to say back in my day, but back in my day when I was in elementary school, the way that they did textbooks was they would, they would hand out the textbook at the beginning of the year and you would keep that book for the entire year and then you would have to turn it back in at the end of the year. And so what you would do, you would treat it like a rental car. Like you would have to flip through the pages. You'd have to note all of its inadequacies. You would have to mention all of the bent pages or what kind of condition the cover was in. You have to let your teacher know so that at the end of the year, when you turned it back in, you didn't get dinged with all kinds of like small fines or even a replacement cost for the entire textbook, right? So what we would do is we would take old recycled grocery bags, paper bags, and we would like craft and create our own book covers. And we would start personalizing them and, and making them our own. But this, is, this was kind of the, the thing that we do. But no matter how good you were at personalizing that textbook, you still had to open the inside cover and you'd have to write your name down as, as if declaring that this textbook was yours for the entire year. And I always loved this part of getting the textbook because when you wrote your name down, you could look above your name and find out who had the book before you. And then you could judge that person for all the bent pages <laughs> and all the scratches in the cover. And you could create all these stories about how they didn't know how to care for that textbook. 
Well, this year, fourth grade, I was, I was in fourth grade, that particular year, I had Miss Hansen, and I remember getting my textbook, and I, and I did something really, really strange with the textbook this year. I, I, I opened up the front cover, I wrote my name down like you were supposed to, and then over the course of the next week, I started to write in the book. Not, not like the paper book cover that I had created, but I was writing directly on the book. And the strangest thing happened for me. I started designing that inside cover with the cross. And then I would connect the points of the cross like a connect the dot. And so I created like this diamond encrusted cross on the inside of my front cover. Now that might not sound that strange to you, but you have to remember, I didn't give my life to Christ until I was 19 years old, my freshman year in college. And so this was really strange for me. I mean, to this day, I still wonder what was in me and how God was drawing me to himself. In fact, I take great comfort knowing that he was drawing me to himself even before I professed to be a follower of Christ. But the inside of that cover was filled with crosses covered with diamonds. Now, fast forward a year, I would now be in fifth grade and I would leave my book in fourth grade. It would get passed on to whoever came behind me and Kimberly Hoffman got the book after me. She's not watching online, so it's okay. <laughs> I knew her sister, Carrie. Kimberly was her younger sister, and so she got my book, and she did the same thing that I always do. You look at the names as who had it before you, and she took it right to me one day in school, and she said, Jeff, I got your book from last year. I mean, how cool is that, that I got your book? And I remember thinking, oh, yes cool. Like I, like for me, it wasn't until later in life that I realized cool wasn't like the pinnacle of success. So I thought I had to play it cool and really present to her that yes, it was quite cool that she got my book. But then she asked about the crosses. She said, Jeff, I, I looked in the book and there's crosses everywhere. You, you designed the front book with crosses and then you created them into diamonds. Like, are you a Christian or something? Like, what is this all about? And I'm telling you, I remember distinctly in that moment, all of my insecurities came to the surface. And I got really intimidated by Kimberly Hoffman, this fourth grade girl. And I said, just the dumbest thing that you could imagine. I looked at her and I said, oh, those crosses? That's not because I follow Jesus. See, when you take a cross and you, you draw a diamond around it like that and you connect all of the crosses, that actually is like a sign for some really dark things, some really evil things. That's pretty cool. And that's who I am. I mean, this is strange. This is so strange that, that my heart would be drawn to the Lord, even though I wasn't following him, that I would draw crosses in the book, and then I would begin to call good things evil so that evil things would give me some kind of status as a fifth grade elementary boy. This is what was going on in my head. I realized that I started denying Christ before I was even following him. Before I even loved him, before I even wanted my life to be known because of what Christ has done in my own heart, I started denying him and distancing myself from him. I mean, that is so bizarre. 
And I've grown up a bit since then. I've, I've grown in my own confidence. I'm no longer ashamed of the gospel. I'm no longer ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. That's really good for all of us in this room this morning. But I can still find myself struggling. I can still find myself dodging certain conversations with certain friends because I make up a story about how that, that conversation is going to end. And I, I probably won't deny Christ or I haven't denied Christ like I did in that time in elementary school. But, you know, I, I've learned that if I'm not careful, I can still deny him quietly. I can deny him privately. I can deny him and I can call it, you know, being wise or being prudent in this current social climate. It's just easier to keep those things to myself and maneuver my way through a variety of social contexts. I can still deny Christ if I'm not careful. And this is our fireplace for today. The fireplace of denial. And it's not a very uplifting question to ask. It's not a, a really happy-go-lucky conversation to have, and I realize that, but it's a conversation we still need to have, and it's a question that I still need to ask. Have you ever denied Christ? Have you ever denied Christ? The more direct way to ask that kind question would be to ask, how do you deny Christ? And just assume that we've all struggled or we've all done it in big or in small ways. And I think this is a fair question because even if we haven't done it in really big ways or really loud ways, like walking away from the church or rejecting Jesus Christ altogether, uh, which is most common for people, by the way, ages 16 to 26, but even if it's not as dramatic as just completely turning your back on Jesus, I think we've all probably denied Christ in small, subtle ways. Quiet ways where we think maybe no one notices at all, but deep down in our own hearts, we wonder if we really have courage for Jesus or if we continue to just make these still small mistakes. Maybe you're here today and this is the first time in a really long time you've been in church. Maybe this is the first time in a really long time you're entertaining the idea of Jesus or what it means to follow Jesus because you've been drifting or potentially denying him little steps along the way for quite some time. Maybe you're here today and you don't follow Jesus or you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior. And if that's you today, then I just want you to know, like, we're so glad that you're here with us. Every Sunday we gather, we have people who are exploring the faith and you can you can belong here and you can be with us and be part of our community while you're discovering Jesus Christ with us. But if today is the day, by the way, you want to make a decision to follow Christ, then by the end of our time together, I'll give you a chance to respond to him and make him your Lord and Savior today. But I understand that overarching, this overarching idea about denying Christ, it's not a particularly fun topic to discuss. It's just we have to be willing to have important conversations with one another, even if they're not that fun. And so let me ask the question just one more time. Have you ever denied Christ? Have you ever denied Christ? Our scripture for today is one of the most tragic denials of Christ, I think, in all of the Bible. 
It's a big enough deal that all four gospel writers, the people who talked about the teachings, ministry, and life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them record the denial of Christ. And it happened when Peter, who was one of Jesus's top disciples and top students in his inner circle of the inner circle, completely and utterly denied even knowing Jesus. We're going to spend most of our time in the gospel of John. I would encourage you throughout your week to maybe find all of the denial accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke and read them on your own. But most of what we're going to be doing today is spending our time in the gospel of John. So let's read the beginning of this story. Peter's first denial found in John 18, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter followed Jesus, as did another of the disciples. That other disciple, who's probably John, by the way, was acquainted with the high priest. So he was allowed to enter into the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, you're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. You know, every time I read verse 17, when Peter said, no, I am not his disciple. I don't know him. I, I, every time I read that, I can just feel the weight of a thousand denials falling on my heart and falling on the pages, not just for Peter, but for all of us or all who came before us who have also made similar mistakes. Peter said, I don't even know the guy. I don't know him. Not only am I not his disciple, I don't even know him. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower. I've turned my back. Would you just leave me alone and let me warm myself by the fire? I don't even know the man. And you have to remember, Peter, this is the guy who, who witnessed all kinds of miracles in, in the life of Jesus. Experienced all the miraculous kind of stuff. He saw it firsthand. He heard the teachings of Jesus. The guy even got out of the boat and walked on water. He saw the great transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Yet in this moment, when he was questioned by a servant girl tending to the door, when she questioned him about his allegiance to Jesus, he denied Christ. He just wanted to be left alone. He just wanted to be warmed up by the fire. And unfortunately, by the time this story is over, he'll have three total denials of even knowing his Lord. Nobody wants to deny Christ. I mean, as followers of Jesus, we don't like wake up in the morning thinking, you know what I really need today? I really need to just turn my back on Jesus. That's like, that's like my daily goal. It surely wasn't Peter's heart or Peter's intention. Like Peter, many of us wake up with great intentions to have a close relationship with Jesus, to build our faith and build our connection with him. But things happen and mistakes are made. And like Peter, sometimes we fall away. Sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we make decisions that create a wider wedge between Jesus and ourselves instead of a closer 
connection. If you look back at the scripture, you can see that, that one of Peter's problems is right here in the text. And it's worth paying attention to because if, if we don't pay attention to Peter's story, then Peter's story can become our own story. In verse 15 and verse 16, it says that Peter started with the other disciple. It says that he started with closely following to Jesus, but that um, at one point in this story that Peter was left outside the gate and John, probably John and Jesus went inside. This needs to grab our attention from the scriptures this morning. We need to allow God to speak to us about this this morning because it's a major point that we have to remember. And it's that denials increase when you're isolated. Denials in your life, denying Christ will increase when you're isolated. When you get alone, when you get isolated, whether it's because of life circumstances or even our own willingness to choose being alone, spiritual isolation and spiritual loneliness will almost always, almost always increase the risk of denying Jesus. Peter started with him started close. John eventually got him inside the courtyard, but the wedge was already created. And eventually Peter was left by himself to warm himself by the fire with a different kind of community. And in that moment of weakness, that's when he slipped. That's when he denied knowing Jesus three straight times. This scripture gives us a great caution that if we insist on living alone, if we insist on growing alone and worshiping alone, trying to spiritually mature alone, that we too may follow in Peter's footsteps. And we might deny Christ to the family member who, who cuts us off because we've all of a sudden gotten too radical for Jesus. We might deny him on social media or when we're in different, different friend groups around the school. Right? Many of us may deny Christ when we're deconstructing our faith. And it's not just because we're wrestling with unhealthy theology. Some of that probably needs to happen, but it should happen in community. And that's the warning for us. Wrestle with these things in community, not alone. And still many of us will deny Christ silently choosing to avoid all things Christ-like, again, in this idea that it's wisdom or it's prudence to avoid hurtful conversations. Denials of Christ, they, they almost always happen and they almost always increase when we isolate ourselves and we live spiritually alone. Although, we combat this here locally with small groups. Many of our small groups are getting ready to take a break for the holidays. They'll start up again in the new year. We would encourage you to sign up for them when that time comes. But in the meantime, I want to share a great event with you where you can still get connected, even though some of our small groups are getting ready to take a break. And it's the women's Christmas brunch. Terry mentioned it when she was up here. You can register for it at votrweekly.org. It's as simple as pulling out your phone right now, typing in www.votrweekly.org and clicking on the Christmas brunch. This year's theme of the Women's Christmas Brunch is being together. And some of the guys' eyes are starting to glaze over because you think I'm only talking to half the church. I promise you there's a place for you at the table as well, just not their table. Men have traditionally served this event. 
to make sure that it can run seamlessly so that all the women in our church are served and cared for and have an opportunity to connect together. And so men, we would invite you to sign up and serve at that event as well. At this event, almost every Christmas season, there's around 200 people that show up for this event between the men who serve and the women who attend. And it's a great way to get connected and stay connected this Christmas. Events like that brunch or Winter Wonderland, which you can also find at votrweekly.org or any service project this time of year are great ways to combat that spiritual isolation or that spiritual loneliness that can happen this time of year. And they're just great ways to give back. Something happens in our relationships. Something happens in our accountability when we serve together, when we show up together, when we worship together. All right, let's look back at the passage then. Look back in John 18 with me. This time we're going we're gonna to skip ahead to verse 25, picking back up with Peter's denial. Unfortunately, he's really only getting warmed up. He's only had one denial. He still has two more to go. 18, chapter 18, verse 25. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, you're not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying no I am not, but one of the household slaves of the high priest. And, and don't get too caught up on that word slaves. It, the original language really just means attendant or servant. So one of the household attendants or servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. We'll talk about that in a second. Asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. And immediately a rooster crowed. Now, there's just so much going on in this little chunk. We've got to talk about the whole Peter cutting the guy's ear off thing, right? I mean, this is just a bizarre little piece of information in the scripture. And we have to recognize, right, that Peter, the guy who denied Christ three times in this text, is also the guy who boldly and courageously pulled out a sword and cut off a guy's ear, thinking that he was aggressively protecting the one that he would eventually deny. So just because you're full of zeal doesn't mean you can't be full of zeal one day and deny him the next day. Because that's exactly what happened to Peter. And in John 18, verse 10, if you just go back just 15 verses before we get to this point right here, you see what's happening. You see that Jesus and his disciples, they're all in the garden of Gethsemane together. They're having a sweet little prayer moment together. And then the soldiers come in to arrest Jesus, to lead him towards his crucifixion. And in that moment, Peter pulls out the sword, cuts off the guy's ear. And by the way, he's a ministry guy. He was a fisherman. He wasn't a soldier. Do you think he was aiming for his ear? No. As a pastor, I can tell you my theological training never included swordsmanship. Peter was aiming for something way more deadly than that. He's not looking at the guy, kind of sizing him up and saying, you know what? I just need to teach these guys a lesson. I think I'm just going to lop off that ear right there just to make sure everyone knows who's in charge. No, he was aiming for his head and out of an act of providence or sheer luck or the Holy Spirit showing up dramatically in that moment, he just got his ear. In the gospel of Luke, thankfully, it records that Jesus bends down and actually heals that guy's ear as they're arresting him. And then he rebukes Peter 
for his violent aggression. And then he allows himself to be carried away knowing that he was about to redeem all things for all mankind. Despite the oddities of this passage, we see our next point begin to rise to the surface in Peter's denial. And it's something that I think many of us can probably resonate with today, which is denials increase when you're afraid. Denials increase when you're afraid. They increase when you're isolated. This was Jesus denying Christ before the servant girl when he first got in, but denials also increase when you're afraid. And by the way, Peter was afraid for good reason. He had just cut off a soldier's ear. You don't think there would be payback for that? You think someone would eventually come looking for him because of that? He just cut off a government official's ear and he's watching his Lord and Savior be arrested and you can see him churning all the information. If they're going to arrest Jesus, what are they going to do with me? Jesus healed people. I cut off someone's ear. What are they going to do with me? So he denies even knowing Jesus in a moment of real fear, tangible fear, fear that many of us have probably experienced, but not to the depths of what Peter was going through in that moment. In this moment of weakness, he denied Christ. You have to remember, this was the same guy who at one point had enough faith to get out of the boat and walk on water. And now Peter's faith and courage were crumbling to the ground. They were being thrown in the very fire pit of denial right before him. And they were being burned away from his own relationship with the Lord. And listen, if you read this story and you get a little judgy with Peter, just take, just take a, a moment of pause here. Let's be empathetic to Peter. Let's be kind to Peter. Be kind to Peter and be kind to yourself. Because if we can't find ourselves in this story, eventually in your life, you'll probably be able to. And if you're kind to Peter, I think you'll be more kind to yourself. We've all been afraid before. We've all feared what might come our way if we really were outspoken for a Jesus. At some point in our life, maybe it was last week. Maybe it was last night you denied Jesus. We all have the propensity to deny him. And it could have happened recently for some of us. We are simply not perfect But even when we falter, he never fails. Even in our faith, when it crumbles to the ground, he remains faithful. He remains passionately in love and in pursuit of our hearts time and time again. And the point of this story, you have to recognize the heartache Peter's going through. He's now denied Jesus three times. Jesus predicted it would happen. You think Peter would have been on guard. You think John would have given him the elbow and said, hey, remember the thing that Jesus said? Don't do that. Peter did it anyway. And all three other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record it, that after the third denial, Peter broke and he began to weep. He broke down and he cried. All the emotion of his denial finally began rushing to the surface and he was undone. The very one he had pledged his life to, the one who handpicked him and taught him and empowered him and released him for significant ministry. This is the same one that Peter was now denying time and time and time again. It broke Peter and it led to a moment of incredible self-awareness. Luke 22, verse 62 says, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly. He left 
that place emotionally undone. John was the only disciple who actually made it to the cross, who made it to the crucifixion. And we don't know this for sure, but if Peter had just continued to follow, he might've ended up at the crucifixion site as well, witnessing the most profound act of love ever to be demonstrated on earth. Yet instead he was going even further away from Jesus, weeping bitterly, you know, denying Christ. It it takes its toll. It impacts our soul. We think sometimes that a small denial here or a small denial there won't matter, but it does impact our soul. Peter was already isolated. He was already afraid. And now he was emotionally undone. Again, let us ask ourselves the question, have we ever denied Christ? Have you ever denied Christ? If you have, do you think you're here by accident today? I know it's not a comfortable conversation, but do you think God orchestrated your life to be in these seats just out of sheer luck? No, he wants you to know that even though you've denied him, even though you've turned your back on him, even though you've made more decisions for yourself than for him lately, that a denial doesn't mean you're done. A denial doesn't mean you're done. Jesus isn't giving up on you. He still has plans for you. He still has a purpose for you. All is not lost. Jesus in his love for you and in his desire to redeem all things pursues you to the very end. Peter's story doesn't end in John 18. Thankfully for you or me, we get to see part of his story in John 21. And of course, all through the book of Acts. Now between John 18 and John 21, there are probably some really heartbreaking moments There were probably some times where Peter felt like he was really out on his luck, but his story doesn't end in John 18. And by the time you get to John 21, I'll summarize the story for you quickly. Peter begins to be reinstated by Jesus. Several days after the resurrection, Peter and a few of the disciples end up on uh, a fishing excursion. And you should read John 21 on your own this week because there's a lot of parallels right? They begin fishing, but they don't catch anything. And then Jesus, the resurrected Lord on the beach shouts out to them, cast your nets on the other side, eerily similar to the way that they were first called by Christ. And they catch so many fish that they can't even haul them all in. By the time they get to the beach, Jesus is cooking fish and loaves of bread over a fire, much like the feeding of 5,000. And then it says this really beautiful thing. If you look at John 21, verse 19, when they got there, the disciples, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Underline that, under a, over a charcoal fire and some bread. Smells have a way of bringing back memories, don't they? If you smell grandma's house, if you smell the, the meal she always cooked, if you walk down that part of town and you can smell the barbecue, if you're from Kansas City, this is what happened all the time. <laughs> Smells have a way of bringing memories to life. And the same charcoal fire that Jesus is cooking this bread and this fish is the same smell that Peter would have remembered from John 18 when he denied Christ three times. And in that moment, Peter could remember what it felt like to say, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Leave me alone. I don't even know the man. See, Jesus isn't trying to rub it in. He's not trying to teach him a lesson. This isn't some kind of Christ-centered shakedown for Peter. 
Jesus just knows that he needed to lead him out of the fireplace of denial and into a fireplace of love and forgiveness. He needed a new experience with Christ. And so Jesus around this charcoal fire asks Peter three times, just as many times as he denied him in the first place, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? So do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. I love you. Jesus asks a third time, Peter, do you love me? Peter's undone with a third one, seeing how it's lining up perfectly. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus called him back into ministry. Called him back into ministry. He didn't even miss a place. He wasn't demoted in the kingdom of God. He called him right back to the very beginning. Denying Christ doesn't mean you're done. It doesn't disqualify you from loving him. It doesn't disqualify you from ministry or being part of this community here with us. It just means that you need a new memory with Jesus. It means you need, it means you need to experience the redemptive power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A denial of Jesus never means you're done. As we move into our time of reflection this morning. If you've drifted from God in big or small ways, don't believe the lie that all is lost. It's simply time to come home. It's time to come back to Jesus. It's time to experience his love and forgiveness again. If you've been denying him for quite some time, be prepared. He may ask you the same questions he asked Peter. Do you love me? Do you still love me? Do you love me today? And in this place of connection with Jesus, these are the opportunities you have to reaffirm and recommit your life to him again. These are the moments where you can experience the fireplace of redemption and the fireplace of forgiveness, not just the fireplace of denial. What do you need from Jesus today? Let's pray.